It's a great plan, though, uh, teaching the kids, and we're so thankful to have young Christian families that are doing that and teaching their children to love God and to worship Him. We're glad you're here today uh, to take part in our worship that you uh, survived the blizzard. Um, <laughs> this is a Virginia blizzard, all right? It, it, there may not be any snow at all. It's just a Virginia blizzard, but we're glad that you're able to be here. We find out from the Gospels that uh, Jesus' disciples, when they were on the earth with him and he was on the earth with them, sometimes had a hard time getting along with each other. And they were sometimes competitive. They liked to talk about who was the greatest, who was the most important. And he had to teach them about that right up until the time that he went to the cross. But after he went to the cross and was raised from the dead, they seemed to have gotten the message we know that the Apostle John did uh, because in his first letter, 1 John 4, verses 20 and 21, he wrote this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother also. What a great thought. Whoever loves God must love his brother also. They they made that connection that they could not be competitors with one another, but rather they had to be bound together in a common love. But notice that Jesus taught, love, uh, John, excuse me, John speaks about loving your brother. Jesus had talked about loving your neighbor. And I'm not trying to suggest that there's a great difference between the two, but I think the language is significant. Loving your neighbor as yourself but John says, loving your brother. You know, it's true. We're supposed to love everyone. We saw that last week as we talked about that in the sense that we want to always act in the best interest of other people. That's what it means to love others. But there is a special love that we are to have for our brothers and sisters in the Lord because of the common bond that we share. The things that we have heard read about today, the things that we have sung that we have this common love for one another and this common bond in Christ. We have our common salvation. We have our common hope of being in God's presence forever. We live our lives with those things in common. Even when we're not together, we still have that in common. Now, when we think about loving the right things, and that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks, then we cannot fail to think about the need to love the church. But when we talk about loving the church, we're really talking about two different things, not different things, but two separate but related things. Number one is loving the church as a whole. It's loving what's sometimes called the universal church, the church everywhere, the church as it exists, uh, regardless of where it exists, uh, in every place, the body of Christ, the entire body of Christ, sometimes referred to as the universal church. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Uh, that's Paul's use of the church when he said, God has appointed in the church first apostles and second prophets and third teachers and so forth in 1 Corinthians 12. That's what Paul was referring to when he said that he had persecuted the church of God. Now, he wasn't talking about any one congregation of the church. He was talking about persecuting Christians generally, persecuting Christians everywhere. It's what he meant in Ephesians 4 when he talked about the fact that there is one Lord, uh, one body 
which is the church. And in Ephesians chapter 1, when he said that Christ is the head over all things for the church, for the church wherever it exists and however it exists. And through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is now to be made known, he said, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 3 in verse 10. So not talking about any one particular congregation, but talking about the church as a whole. And we ought to love the church. We ought to love the church as a whole. It is the body of Christ. It is the bride of Christ, which he purchased with his own blood. How can we not love the church and all that it stands for? How can we claim to love the one who died for the church and not love that for which he died? How can we love him? and not love his bride. Timothy Dwight, Congregationalist minister, wrote his hymn in 1800, I love thy kingdom, Lord. And apparently Timothy Dwight was a great lover of the church because here's what he wrote. I love thy kingdom, Lord, the house of thine abode, the church our blessed Redeemer saved with his own precious blood. I love thy church, O God, her walls before thee stand, Dear is the apple of thine eye, engraven on thy hand. For her my tears shall fall, for her my prayers ascend. For her my cares and toils be given, till toils and cares shall end. Beyond my highest joy I prize her heavenly ways, her sweet communion, solemn vows, her hymns of love and praise. Sure as thy truth shall last, to Zion shall be given the brightest glories earth can yield and brighter bliss of heaven. Timothy Dwight obviously loved the church. We ought to love it too. Listen, if we're supposed to love even our enemies, and Jesus taught that, didn't he? How much more ought we to love God's church? So that's one thing we're talking about when we talk about loving the church. But sometimes it's easier to love the church universal than it is to love the church where you are, isn't it? Sometimes it's easier to think about the church generally sort of facelessly rather than thinking about the people with whom we worship week in and week out. That presents its challenges, doesn't it? Sometimes we're like the poster I once saw. It had a picture of a guy who had just a really, you know, kind of uh, uh, scowl on his look, a uh, scowl on his face, and he, underneath it said, I, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. <laughs> You know, maybe we're like that about the church sometimes. I love the church, but boy, those people that sit across the aisle from me. <laughs> That's not the attitude that we are to have. We are to love the church, the people with whom we work and worship week in and week out. We might like to think that God would accept us just fine if we, if we just tolerate one another. We might like to think that that'd be okay with God. We just say, God, you know, we just don't find all those people lovable. Uh, and so we expect you to excuse our lack of love for one another. But that's not what scripture says. It calls us to that higher love. You heard it read earlier, Philippians 2 and verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And the each of you that he's talking about there, those others whose interests we are supposed to have at heart, in the context of the letters, of course, other believers. And the Philippians are struggling with that. And so Paul writes to them. He says, don't just think about your own things. Don't just think about your own stuff. Don't just be interested in your, yourself and your own life. 
but also in the interest of other people, whoever they are. And he gives an example in chapter 4 and verse 2 of Philippians about Euodia and Syntyche who need, he said, to agree in the Lord because they were having some kind of strife with each other. We don't know what it was about. We don't know how it started, but apparently it was affecting the whole church. And he said, these two women have labored side by side with me in the gospel. And he talked about other fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And he says, I, I, want, them to, I want them to love each other. I want them to get along with each other. In other words, there was a problem, but Paul didn't say that's okay. Paul said it needs to be corrected. In Galatians 5, beginning of verse 22, when Paul was writing to the churches of Galatia, they were having similar problems to the ones in, in Philippi. Paul urges them to allow the, the Spirit to produce his fruit within them. And what did he say? The fruit of the Spirit is love, first of all. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Because they needed to have that love for one another. And a little bit further down, he says, don't be conceited and don't be provoking one another. Don't be envying one another, but love one another instead. Then there's 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul urges the Corinthians to use their spiritual gifts, not in a selfish way, but for the building up of the church. And over and over again in that chapter, he talks about building up the church. It seems that some of the Corinthians had gifts of which they were especially proud, particularly the gift of tongues. And I can just imagine what a heady thing that would be to just be able to, you know, get up in front of a group of people and just suddenly begin speaking in another tongue. And they could draw attention to themselves and, and you know, kind of be doing something that other people weren't able to do. And, uh, but Paul said, that's not good. That's not right. That's a selfish use of that gift. And he said a far better gift is the gift of prophecy because the gift of prophecy builds up everybody. And so he urges them to strive to excel in building up the church, not just themselves. And he instructs them to let all things be done for building up. Let all things be done for building up one another. And the point is the welfare of the church as a whole is greater than the ego's of the individual members. The welfare of the church as a whole is more important than the egos of the individual members. And so they are to love one another earnestly uh, and to have a, a, a love for one another and a desire to build each other up, not just to build up themselves. Peter adds to this in 1 Peter 1.22, writing to Christians in Asia Minor, he says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere love of the brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. You just can't read those scriptures without getting the point, can you? Christians are to love other Christians with a special love even beyond that of loving our neighbor. That's why Paul said in Galatians 6 and verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, he says, but especially to those who are the household of faith. Why? Because the other people don't count? No, but because we have that special bond in the household of faith. The law had said, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus affirmed that when he said that's the, 
uh, the great commandment that goes along with the one to love God. But then Jesus later added, love one another as I have loved you. That's even more than loving your neighbors yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. And notice that such love can be and is commanded. It's commanded. I've heard people say before, you can't tell somebody to love somebody else. Yeah, you can. The Bible does it all the time. We can learn to love one another. We can put forth some effort to love one another. Understanding that on one level, loving each other is not so much about how we feel as about what we do. It's acting in one another's best interest. But at the same time, both Peter and Paul talk about a brotherly affection for one another. That we are to develop this kind of feeling for one another, this kind of affection toward one another. And Peter acknowledges that brotherly affection, though, brotherly infection, maybe that was an appropriate slip. That brotherly affection for one another requires some effort. It requires some effort. Maybe we have to grow that affection. Let's face it, we don't always do a really good job with that, do we? Because we don't always find each other lovable. Sometimes it's just easy. You know, there's some people we just naturally are drawn to, that we just naturally feel in a, a kinship with and an affection for, and then there are others that we don't. What does Paul say about that? He says we are to be forbearing with one another. Forbearing is polite language for saying put up with each other. Okay? And sometimes you just have to do that. Sometimes you just have to endure. Sometimes there are just things about somebody that maybe that sort of rubs you the wrong way. You just have to put up with it. Let me promise you something, though. If there's somebody in the church that you're having trouble putting up with, there's somebody in the church who's having trouble putting up with you. Okay? It works both ways. It works both ways. And that's why the love is to be reciprocal. It's never just one way. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Well, how do we go about loving one another in the church? What specifically do we need to do to be loving? Not, not just toward a handful of individuals that we happen to like, but toward each other as a whole. Well, that's where Romans 12, 1 to 13 comes in. Because Paul talks about that. Romans 12 uh, begins with Paul saying, Therefore, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Now understand what he's doing there. Therefore looks back to what he's already said. The mercies of God is Romans 1 through 11. He's talked about the gospel. He's talked about just being justified by faith, being put right with God through our faith in Jesus Christ. He has talked about God's grace. He's talked about mercy. And so now he says to the Romans, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. On the basis of everything I've been talking about for 11 chapters, he says, I'm appealing to you. And he says what they need to do is they need to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Not conformed, but transformed changed by the renewing of your mind. Now you see a major concern in this letter 
of Romans is the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in Christ because they were having trouble with that. It's all through the letter. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the Jew first, but also for the Gentile, right? Uh, God's affection was placed first of all in the Jews, but his love is for the whole world. And so all through the letter, he makes references to both Jews and Gentiles. And he, he doesn't say Jews and Gentiles here in chapter 12, but I think that's what he's talking about. They need to have their minds transformed, not be conformed to the ways of the world because the way of the world was for Jews and Gentiles to not like each other. That wall that Jeff was talking about was not only between Jews and Samaritans, but between Jews and Gentiles. The reason they didn't like Samaritans is because they were partly Gentile and partly Jewish. And so there was a wall there. What Paul refers to as the dividing wall of hostility that needed to be broken down. And what he wants them to see is that now they are all one in Christ and they all stand on the same level ground at the foot of the cross. Nobody's superior, nobody's inferior. Jews had a tendency to think, well, we're superior because we've had this long history with God. And we've had his law, and, and we live by his law, and we've been circumcised and all those other things. And then along come the Gentiles, and they come into Christ, and they say, yes, but God's accepted us without all, out all of that, uh, particularly without circumcision. And so they had a tendency to kind of look down on the Jews about, we sort of replaced you. And, and we didn't need the law. Paul just said so. And Paul doesn't want them to have that kind of competitiveness between themselves. And so based on the mercies of God, he says, his grace through Christ, he appeals to them to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And that's when he begin to begins to tell them what it looks like to be a living sacrifice, to be transformed people, particularly in the way that they behave toward one another. So what does he say? What will we do if we love one another in the church? What will we do? He gives us several examples. For one thing, he says, practice humility. Practice humility. For the grace, by the grace of God, uh, the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. He doesn't want the Jews thinking of themselves more highly than they ought to think because of their history with God, because look, they're sinners. And their history with God wasn't all great, was it? So he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, in the same way with the Gentiles. He says, you guys surely shouldn't be thinking of yourselves as superior to the Jews because look at your history. We're all sinners. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. In the context of today. Why should we not love other believers who are not worse sinners than we are? Nobody's a worse sinner than each of us. We shouldn't look at other people and think that their sins are worse than ours. We want God to be forbearing with us. We need to be forbearing with each other. So Paul says, Practice humility. Then he says, use your gifts to serve one another. 
He begins talking about the gifts. He says, we are many members, but one body, and not all have the same function, but God has given us various gifts. So he says, let's use them. Let's use them in service for one another. Notice he says that all have gifts. Question is not, do you have a gift today? The question is, are you using what God has given you to serve your brothers and sisters in the Glen Allen Church of Christ? That's the question. Not is the gift there, because it is. The Bible says so. The question is, are you using that gift to serve God and to serve other believers? And he lists some of those gifts. Serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, practicing mercy. Whatever it is, he says, use it. Use it. And use it for the glory of God and the good of the church. We shouldn't have to be begged or coerced into using our gifts to serve one another. That's our task. That's our privilege as members of the body is to use what God has given us to serve one another. Then he says, show genuine love. Let love be genuine. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. When your life is transformed, when your mind is renewed by the Spirit of God, then you will practice this brotherly affection. Genuine love, not just pretending, not uh, just being polite, but actually caring for one another, actually serving one another. And notice he says, let this be that way. We can learn affection. Have you ever met somebody that the first time you met them, they just really didn't appeal to you at all. They just kind of turned you off. They just kind of rubbed you the wrong way. Okay, now don't look at anybody when I'm talking about this, okay? Don't, don't, don't personalize it, okay? But, but we've all had that experience, haven't we? You meet somebody and you think, mm-hmm. and, and then the longer you're around that person and you worship with them and maybe you get involved in a project with them at church and and, and you begin to realize, you know, this, this person's not so bad after all. And they may end up being your best friend. They may end up being somebody you really have a great affection for. They may be, end up being somebody that you begin to think, how did we ever get along without that person in our midst? You know, that happens so often here at Glen Allen. We have, we have new people come, and after... After a year or two, I find myself thinking, how did we ever function without that person, without that family? We were so different without them and and so much better with them. And we come to appreciate one another so much more. We've got an example of that in Scripture. You remember Nathaniel uh, in the Gospel of John? Nathaniel was told, we have found him of whom the prophets spoke, Jesus of Nazareth. And he You know, he just sort of smirks and he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, he's just ready to dismiss Jesus because of where he's from. And then he goes and meets Jesus and Jesus talks to him. uh, And and Jesus says, Nathaniel, before uh, you were called, I saw you standing under the fig tree. And then he says, oh, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. First of all, it's can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then he is boldly and openly confessing that he's the son of God and the king of Israel. We need to love one another with a genuine love. We need to look more deeply into one another's lives and to who we are 
and to learn to love each other with a brotherly affection. And then Paul says, honor one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't seek honor for yourself, but seek to give honor for the service of other people. And then he says, be zealous. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Fervent, by the way, literally means boiling. Boiling in spirit. Fervently serving God. Now you might wonder, what does that have to do with loving each other? What does that have to do? What does my fervency in serving the Lord have to do with loving each other? And I think the answer is simply this, that it's encouraging to each other. Have you ever noticed how you've learned and been encouraged by watching the zeal of somebody else? Seeing the level of commitment, the dedication of somebody else, and, and that kind of causes you to step up your own game. And that makes you desire to be more like that yourself, to be more zealous in the service of God. See, there's an encouragement there that goes along with that, and we all need that. It shows how important the gospel is. It shows how important the church is when we give it all that we have. And that's what Paul says we ought to do. Then he says, pray for the church. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. This is perhaps the, the simplest Easiest thing that we can all do, but do we do it? Do we pray daily for the church? Do we pray all the time for the body of Christ here at Glen Ellen? Do we pray for the church's leaders? Do we pray for the church's mission? Do we pray for the church's ministries? Do we pray for the church's challenges? Do we pray for the people in the church? who are struggling in different ways. Praying is so valuable, so important, and it's something that we ought to be doing, Paul says, constantly, constantly. And then he talks about practicing generosity toward one another, being generous toward one another. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, I don't think that in those verses, Paul has by any means given us an exhaustive list of how to love each other. It's just suggestive. Those are just ways we can love one another. There are a lot of other ways that we can show love to each other in the church. But if we love one another, we'll find a way to do it. That's the point. If we love one another, we'll take those guidelines that Paul has given us, and, and we'll look around us, and we'll ask ourselves, what can I do? to show the love of Christ to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul said in 2, Corinthians, or 2 Timothy 3, in the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he said, and love your neighbor as yourself, and then later he says, love one another even as I have loved you. That's how we go about loving the right things. Let's bow and pray. Father, we are so grateful to you for the body of Christ, so thankful to be a part of it. So thankful, Father, for each person here today, for those who are not here today who are a part of our, our family we pray your blessings upon each one of them. We pray, Father, that 
we will learn to love one another more and more every day that we live, that we will treasure the body of Christ and our place in it, the opportunity to be your family. Father, build us up in faith, build us up in love, both for you and for one another, for all those around us. Help us in by so doing to be more like Jesus who loved us all when he went to the cross for our sins. In whose name we pray, amen. If you're ready to come to Christ this morning to confess your faith in him and be baptized in him, and we hope that you are, uh, then we encourage you to come as we stand together.